Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone from the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, celebrity chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Starving for Attention. Richard and Jasmine Blaze right here. Sorry, I think I actually opened up right there with sucking my teeth. I have a, oh. a raisin and a walnut um, that I just got done chomping down on, on because date. we're on the uh, whole life challenge. That's right. It started a couple days ago. Yeah, we're a couple days in and uh, feeling really, really good. I'm on this like um, super athletic. It's called the performance mode. Did no. you see someone posted that, that that used to be the only level they had was just the performance level? Like oh. Everybody just poop jumps right on that level where basically all you eat is meat and vegetables. Right. Yeah. Which doesn't sound. I mean, when you say it like that, though, it doesn't sound that horrible, right? No. I, I mean, it does to me, honestly, because I don't like to eat a lot of meat. But um, it, for others, I'm sure it sounds perfect. Probably some people could probably just take the meat part and go. Absolutely. And then when you do it a couple of days, or or when you're like feeling really fit, then you can get to uh, reward yourself yeah. with uh, different indulgence tokens, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking about rewarding oneself, this episode's brought to you by Miller Lite. Did you know that Miller Lite was the beer that launched the light beer category? Miller Lite's the original light beer, and from the start, it has never, never, Jasmine, compromised on taste. That's because it's always brewed to have more taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. Miller Lite, hold true. Nice. And like I said, I think last week, you know, light beer has been very much in the fitness game too as far as a- Yeah, recovery drink, right? Being a big recovery drink, absolutely. That's so interesting. Now back to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. This episode is uh, the remarkable, and I know I love everyone. I know we, we, we say amazing things about everyone that comes on the pod because yeah. they spend so much time with us and they're all cool people. Sure. But Gavin Kaysen yeah. uh, from Spoon and Stable and uh, Belcour and just like Demi a, that just opened in Minneapolis. Honestly, a name I've heard um, in food since like Fishbone from you probably, mm. right? Wow. I mean, okay. Yeah, crazy. I know, but you used to talk about him. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting why we would, um, what came up at that time, but maybe it was Bakuzdor or something like that, possibly, but... Well, we share um, some, like, the, uh, a small small branch of a branch on a family tree where Gavin worked for Daniel Ballou, and ah, I that's right. spent yeah. some time with Daniel Ballou. Yeah. So that's definitely where it came from, and um, that's sort of the the core of the root of this episode, really, is that what is remarkable and amazing about Gavin's sort of rise to where he's at being one of the best chefs in the country is the fact that he really followed a very traditional mentor protege mm. uh, apprenticeship sort of mode like okay like you know I under mean, like, Danielle like there can only be two Sith Lords I get it yeah um, I mean I'm having worked for more than one chef but right, under yeah. Danielle working with even Thomas Keller for That's the right. uh, training on Bocuse. But yeah, spent a number of years with Danielle. Mm. I don't know how many, but enough that you would like, that you know that like Gavin was Danielle's. Yes. He was his guy, right? Um, and I think that's something that because of technology and it's the speed of the world, right. and I think the rise of even food media is the type of trajectory that a lot of younger chefs have moved away from. Or it's going extinct and just, yeah, on its own. I mean, I think it's 
massively impressive. It is. Know? No. I, and, and, I, and I think that like I, I kind of do this is pretty much goes hand in hand with what we have heard from other guests when they talk about uh, chefs, line cooks, people that work in, in the kitchen that are just like they want to just skip to the end. They're just ready to, to be a chef. Mm. They're not they don't want to be a line cook. They don't want to work on Marger. They want to just be the chef. Yeah. I right. mean, I think that's the knock. But I mean, it's also it takes time, right? So, I mean, right. you know, when I was a young cook in, in New York City, you want to work for a year, right? Like, you want to work one place for a year, this place for a year. Maybe it's a year and a half. Maybe it's two years. But to 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 rattle off, you know, five plus years, you know, in right. one even restaurant group or working for one, you know, super famous superstar chef, um, you know, I mean, it just the grind of it is very tough, right? Um, and I hate, we're not going to spoil anything that comes in this episode, but I think what's really amazing is now that, he has his team, how that plays out. And, you know, he's, mm. he's going to share in this episode a lot of stories about how, you know, once the protege, now the mentor, right. and how it definitely seems like it serves him now in the management capacity and sure. being a leader because he can, say to his, he can say to his team, hey, I did this for X amount of years. Right. Yeah, you walk the walk. I mean. Yeah. Um, and, he's, you know, it's always impressive. That I, I, I'm sure I mentioned in the pod. It was a couple of weeks ago when we recorded it. But he's a like a chef coat type of guy. Yeah, like, totally. He came in. We were lucky enough to be at Spoon and Stable where even though they weren't open for another eight hours, the hospitality was just paramount. You mm. could tell it was just, you know, top top of the line all the way. And he comes in ready, you know, ready for work. Crisp chef whites and that, you know, what you would think of even when we're talking about the Boku's Dwar competition. Mm-hmm. Which also... We don't. We have never really talked about the Boku's door. No, I don't think. We and have. we talk about you know Top Chef and Food Network competitions because that's more where we have lived in. But the Boku's door is insane. I don't. I tell me about it. The Boku's door is more of like almost like a celebration of like obviously Paul Boku's, but of like course. the quiz, you know old school like plattered cuisine. Right. And yeah. I'm not doing it justice because no. I'm, I am not an ambassador right. of the Boku's door, but like. Very, very intricate work. Right. Platings, little dishes and things all together. So, right? Like, yes. I mean, yeah. And I've seen, I've seen lots of pictures. And there's a chef yes. and, and that chef's younger sort of uh, Comey apprentice. Right. And they compete. And the challenges are for a number of hours across couple, a couple of days. But the work that they're putting out is usually on these ornate sort of platter presentations. Mm, right. Of like, you know, nine layers of truffle and caviar and foie gras all in a beautiful mold that's you know right. shaped like the millennium falcon actually no one's done the no millennium one's falcon. doing that yeah no one it's has. way more classy than that um and you might not even know this and we it, it briefly comes up in the pod the scandinavian teams have dominated the boku's door for hmm. the last couple of years that's like, interesting like almost i, I want to uh, don't quote me i'll go back someone will say you got it wrong but i think they've run the table the last two years as far as gold silver two bronze years? Mm. and but are always placing the u.s won a couple of years back right the u.s has done uh incredibly well oh my gosh yeah um they they did come up with an incredible performance um recently uh back in the days the u.s team was you know if they finished in the top 10 you know this was something that would be really 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 incredible but a couple of years ago uh yes the united states actually pulled off researching coming in hold on yeah this was, let, let's be honest about what happened right there. Uh, a couple of years ago, Matthew Peters, I should know this because I got to be on stage with Matthew Peters and Daniel Ballou in Chicago. You should know this. To hand out an award. You? Well, you're not, you'd hate to say that, like, yeah, they, I, they I, did I, and they I, didn't. Didn't, I, I served you up, up a difficult one, but yeah, 2017. 2017, so not too they long ago. They won gold. Yeah. 
So that I mean, what's amazing. the I'm trying to think what's the actual and sports analogy there? It's the U.S. men's soccer team winning the World Cup. Well, that will never happen. Well, so. that's what they said about the U.S. <laughs> Boku's Door team. Okay, well, and there you go. Gavin is someone who has now you know competed, but also helps train those teams. Right. And to the extent that they they train in the same size kitchen, they set the clocks the same. You know, everything is set up exactly how they're going to do it in whatever right. city they're yeah, going to yeah, compete yeah. in, which I I'm a, I think is always in Lyon or or usually in Lyon. Yeah. Uh, but Gavin Kaysen, absolute class act across the board. In Minneapolis. Do they ever um, do like dessert um, Palladians in the Bugu's or do you know, like ice cream? Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I know, I'm sure a truffle ice cream or something like that has mm. appeared. There's definitely frozen food. Yeah. Is there a pastry specific division? Now we're going to have to dive in. Yeah, um, we're going to have to get someone on here to talk about it. We'll bring Gavin back and, and just talk Bakuzor. We will. It. We get into it a little bit here. Uh, but Gavin's all class. Minneapolis is all class. You know what's not all class? What? This recent, like, trendy, newsworthy drama that's happening where people are licking ice cream. Oh, speaking of ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's they're, they're licking ice cream and then what? Putting it well, back? Well, I think it's... Did it just start with that girl that got arrested? No. Did she start it? No. Someone no. else... Really? Are yeah, you sure? Yes. These are things that... Uh, no. I read one article about it. This is a... Uh, a viral sort of thing. Yes. This, this is just, these I are just people who have been caught I think it became viral recently. because of her. This mm. is disgusting. So basically, if you if you have, have not heard of this, it's people take, you know, a pint of ice cream or a gallon or whatever it is at your local store. And some gallons and pints of ice cream don't have that like nice little protective plastic layer that protects the elements um, from the ice cream or vice versa. And they take the lid off and they lick it and they put it back on the shelf in the grocery store. And it's like, honestly, like the stuff of my nightmares. It is. Uh, because again, you're in the, the microbiology, health and wellness. I almost ten, like nine times out of 10 when I open something, I think someone's messed with it. Like already. Like it just is naturally in my, in my demeanor. Like those, uh, uh, the things that we buy chicken stock in, they have this tamper-proof seal thing, but it opens itself when you open the lid, so the seal's already broken when you open the lid, but it's like the lid is breaking mm. the seal. Yeah. And it took me like, I threw out like three of them because I was like, geez, someone's been tampering with my chicken stock and I would throw it out. And now I realize that the lid actually breaks the seal for yeah. you. Those but. things are always gross. I was just this week actually in a hotel in LA that I won't uh, mention. And I was just sitting in the chair in the hotel room, like tapping something out on my phone. And I looked to my left and there's just a wad of gum like on the desk, like someone just like took it out of their mouth, put it on the side of the desk. And I'm actually blown away that hotel, that that doesn't happen more often. Were our kids there? Because they do that all the time. No, this was me by, this was me by myself. So it was obviously whoever had been in the room previously. I'm I'm also actually more, I'm impressed that that doesn't happen more often, right? Because hotels, I mean, they're turning the room over every day. Yeah. And you know, you drop something on the floor or whatever. Um, But do our our kids put our gum on there? That's gross. Okay. But they don't lick ice cream. But anyways, they don't lick ice cream. That's disgusting. So this is just like a public service announcement to only buy ice cream that comes with a nice sanitary plastic label or plastic lid underneath the lid. Right. Because gross. And then I saw it's not that it's not just ice cream. It's tongue depressors. Did you see this? Yes. Yes. I've been following this story as well. The some, mom, some mom just got arrested. Yes. She's going to go to jail. She's in charge of the felony. I, 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 I hope that there's some sort... I mean, one, she should be, you know, reprimanded heavily. I, I hope there's some sort of punishment. Uh, I mean, I just heard her story. Like, she's embarrassed, of course, and apologetic. Why would you... Rec- like, why, do you, why would you do this? But then there's also, so many like, wise. then they, people so many record wise. this stuff. There's so many wise. I, I think 
you know, some people don't know that that's a, a, a way to get sick, I'm assuming. No. no they all know it's disgusting, it? of course. Right. No way. Uh, Mostly, I would say it's the reason that anyone does anything. It's because they don't think they're going to get in trouble or they don't think anyone's going to find out. Well, people are, but that's ridiculous. That's, you know. Because in this world, even yeah. if you're, <laughs> everything's being recorded. Even if you're not the one that's doing the recording, which is the crazy part about this. This right. isn't like right. security footage from the Walmart. Well, the mom is the one that's going to get rung up. She's not the one that licked it. But she's the one that videotaped it and put it on Snapchat. Right. Well, you know, and she was like, we were just bored and it had been a while. Um, <laughs> not a good enough reason. No. Like, look in the drawer. Yeah. Here's oh, what, here's that's what, what I do. do. Right. I mean, that's what everybody well, does, right? You can look in the drawer. Don't touch anything. Does everybody do that? Uh, Is that just a me? I mean, like, I look in every drawer when I'm waiting in the doctor's office. So I'm like, okay, what do yeah. you got in here? Ooh, okay. Do you think uh, we had a, a new babysitter this week? Do you think that she looked in our drawers? I mean, she should have. I would have. I know. I would always, like, kind of... Or even, like, if you're staying in, like, an Airbnb or some house and, like, with family photos and stuff, don't you just, like, kind of fish around a little bit? But you don't lick ice cream and put it back in a Walmart. That's and then so record gross, it, but guys. you put it on your own page. We have way bigger battles to fight in this country than, than licking ice cream guys. So. But is it is it it's because of, you know, I mean the name of this podcast is Starving for Attention. Mm-hmm. This is what people are doing for attention Clicks, because you can yeah, get clickbait. your your ice cream lick can get lots of likes and then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you have 100,000 likes on something because you did something disgusting in a Walmart. But that's the kind of thing. Like honestly, that's the kind of thing. I don't know how old that girl is. We're going really deep Which into one? This. The, 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 the ice cream ice one cream. Yeah. in Texas, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, but like I don't know how old she is, but that's the kind of thing. And like we we talk to our kids about this, as I'm sure most of you do, if you have kids like growing up in this age, that's the kind of thing that you're going to have to change your name because Mm. when an employer Googles you, that's going to there's going to be 10 pages of that that come up first. And like you're just you're done. Like you're done. You know, I mean, if if you're looking to get like a decent job, like that's Hmm. just crazy. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you're young, you do silly things. We've all done silly things. Uh, I just think that social media has made it. Uh, can't do silly things car, right? it, it isn't it's it's in it's has in it's it's a further encouragement to do it, things it's kind of like a double-edged sword right because it's like it encourages kids to do really stupid things for attention and then it also catches them for doing stupid things basically right like you are caught because you put it on social media right yeah yeah exactly but you would think that the encouragement also is like hey everyone uh there's a camera on everyone i'm blown away with all of these like the ring footage that we even get on our own cam that's oh, like yeah, that's there's a camera on everyone's door don't steal the Amazon package. <laughs> um, also, you know what I, I realized with the whole uh, licking of the ice cream thing? That I think most of the flavors, of course, because I'm a chef, yeah. like they're, most of the flavors that they're licking are just like vanilla. Mm. The most popular really? flavor. Well, which that's, that's makes good. sense because then you know someone's going to get have. it. Right. Um, <laughs> so get the maple brownie pecan crunch next time. Um, and there are also uh, a lot of like, like um, really good like organic uh, brands, which I won't mention. Yes. Uh, but it is time to talk about another fun organic brand that has lots of awesome flavors in a different way. Let's talk about native deodorant. Jasmine, what do you think? Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, Native creates safe, simple, effective products that people use in the bathroom every day. They make their products with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. And if you're not convinced, check out the 7,000 five-star reviews from their customers. Native uses ingredients you know, and less is more with Native. Listen, can I speak to this, though? Please, because, please. like, you know me. You know my struggles with deodorant. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> that meaning sounds, that no, that sounds you are, you're I like don't, super crunchy. Yes, meaning and like, I don't, like organic. I don't, and, right. uh, I don't like to use dippy. the deodorants that have all the stuff in it, the stuff that could make you sick, the stuff that has been proven to not be good for you. And so I have gone through a lot, a lot of natural deodorants and this stuff bomb. Yeah. Bomb.com. I, amazing and i don't smell and, and i would say rarely right before a podcast do i put deodorant on <laughs> but i did today the flavors are pretty amazing this one right here that's in front of us is eucalyptus and mint and if you don't know me i'm a eucalyptus freak they're filled with ingredients found in nature such as coconut oil which is antimicrobial shea butter which acts as a, a moisturizer and tapioca starch which ab- absorbs wetness it's made in the usa with those ingredients thoughtfully sourced from around the world the deodorants formulated without aluminum parabens and talc also mm-hmm. very important to family blaze and many of you out there they use no animal testing jasmine none nope That's native amazing. deodorants got something for everyone comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women plus they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year i gotta get up in there and develop some flavors with these guys they even offer an unscented formula and baking soda free formula for those with sensitivities classic deodorant scents include coconut and vanilla which I like. Ooh, that's mine. That's delicious. One I that's yeah. the one you're using. Mm-hmm. That's the most popular one, by the way. Totally. Uh, lavender and rose, which just sounds romantic. Cucumber and mint, so refreshing. And eucalyptus mint, that's the one I'm using. Mm. There's no risk to try because they offer free returns and exchanges in the USA. Plus, listen up, you can subscribe and save 17%. Save $2 per stick and have native conveniently delivered to your door every one, two, three, or four months we're big fans. Yeah. We're big fans. We're using these all the time. Sold. And here's what we're going to do, Jasmine. Check this out. 20%, if you're listening right now, you can get 20% off your first purchase by visiting nativedeodorant.com and use promo code STARVING during checkout. Go to nativedeodorant.com for 20% off and use promo code STARVING. Eucalyptus and mint. Get super, out there. super delicious. Amazing flavors. You know who else makes amazing flavors? Gavin Kaysen. Here he is. Thanks for inviting me into the, uh, the, the flag. Do you, do you reference Spoon and Sable as the flagship or? It's a good question. I mean, I think for me, it's probably the flagship because it was the first one. Right. You know? So it's the one where you sort of test everything out. Make sure, make sure you know what the heck you're doing. But also internally, now that you have how many, how many places three. you so have? We have three restaurants now, and then we have a catering arm that does, um, we cook solely for the Minnesota Wild hockey team. Oof. That's called KZ Provisioning. So that's a partnership between myself and Andrew Zimmerman. I was going to say, when I saw, without knowing anything about it, I saw the Z part and yeah. I was like, something's up here. Yeah, yeah, something's yeah. It's actually here. really fun. So we have, a, um, we have a kitchen in their practice facility. And then we cook breakfast and lunch for them every day during practice. And then game day, we just do breakfast and then dinners in the locker room. Right. It's, okay. It's amazing. Well, one, I mean, just as I'm assuming then, like, I know you, but not incredible. Like, we don't hang, like, mm-hmm. often, which is sad. I got to work on it. I got to work on We that. used to hang more often, but then we both started traveling other this is, directions. This is, this is right. Uh, life sort of happened, right? Um, but I got to, I mean, I need to be in your circuit is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I need to, it's my fault. It's, okay. it's not, it's not you, it's me. Exactly. So you're a sports fan, though, I'm assuming. Yeah, huge. Okay. Love it. So when you get this call, you're like, is, is hockey one of your... I love hockey. Okay. I grew up playing it. I mean, you can't, you, when you grew up in Minnesota, you like basically learn how to walk and then skate. This is, this is the thing. This is the thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so the, when this call comes around, it's not just a business opportunity. There's, a, there's another little 
part of it. That's as like, a result, my seven-year-old is now a hockey player. Oof, right? Yeah. Which is, I'm yeah. not sure if that's a good thing or not yet. <laughs> right. So how you have uh, you just came back from an awesome uh, kids oh, yeah, trip I was too, in right? Toronto. Yeah, with yeah. My, my oldest son who turns ten tomorrow. Right. So we went to a fa- little father-son trip in Toronto. It was a little amazing. One. Yeah. I mean, that was an amazing, endearing oh God, post. Was, yeah. Well, I'll t- I'll tell you, like, you know, we packed a lot of work or a lot of like fun things in two in three days. You know, we went. My friend Tom uh, works for a company called um, Spin Master, which is this amazing toy company. They like do Paw Patrol. They invented all of these incredible toys. It's right. three buddies from college that started out with like basically a quote unquote Chia pet, and okay. it's now a two billion dollar plus business. Okay. Okay. And so Emil has always expressed the idea of being like an inventor or an engineer, and he's really fascinated with how things are put together. So I thought it'd be really cool for him to see how was a toy invented. Right. So the idea, so they showed us this toy that has not been released yet, which is this flying owl. And it's like, here's how it started. And the guy who invented it shows Emil, this is the idea of where it started from, which looks, looks nothing like the finished product. Mm-hmm. Then shows him all of the sketches, all the iterations of the sketches from basically ugly version to cute version, right? right to what's going to sell. And then goes through and shows us how, how it actually works. And it was, you know, he's like playing with these toys. He looks at me, he's like, Daddy, they play with toys for a living. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> my point is you don't have to like put on a business suit every single day and then all of a sudden that's your job. I'm like, you do what you love. These guys love making toys. They love to invent these toys for kids. They love making kids happy. That's incredible. And um, that's kind of what we get to do as we well, totally. right? Like, I mean, that's my whole thing. It's like, why do you... It's like, well, I don't really feel like I have a job. Right. Like, I accidentally fell into something right. that just, like, made me happy and I could do for 15 hours a day and yeah. uh, not have a problem with it. So, uh, with your youngest then, is that hockey? So, like, you have the inventor and yeah. now do you, do you... So, you have... He's uh, the younger one. And I hate more. to identify her because no, I have two true. girls, too. And it's like, you don't want to identify them. It's, oh, this is our theater kid yeah. and this is our athlete, you know? Yeah, yeah Julius, the seven-year-old, he's, he's much more sports sports. Okay. And he's very analytical. So today, I could, I could ask him the, the, the records of the Yankees, the Kansas City Royals, the Minnesota Twins, the Baltimore Orioles, mm-hmm. and he will tell me what their win-loss ratio is, and wow. who the best player on the team is, and how many home runs and RBIs they've had. That's amazing. That's and just this, how he is. And now this is I, – I, as a kid, I was like that a lot, especially yeah. with baseball. Yeah. But you have to look in a newspaper. I mean, right. I'm old. So he, like, he reads it. He reads you had to go to the box section. scores. Okay. Yeah. But now too, like with technology, like well, if, he you, if ask, you – He can ask Alexa. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Right? He can say, Alexa, what was the score to the game last? Tell me – give me the MLB update. Oh, I love that. And she and, just spits it out. And is he using Alexa for those type of things? 100%. See, like that's what I love. I knew that we were in a good spot or like a like a at a technological level when um, – my kids, they got a magazine when we were in like a doctor's office or whatever. And well, my youngest, and just when she was really young, like three years old, yeah. she grabbed the magazine and she tried to swipe the physical right. page of the <laughs> magazine. Like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about because I'm yeah. like, wow, like these yeah. kids at three know yeah. what's up. Like yeah. this is how media works for them. It's yeah. a swipe. Yeah. It's not turning a page. Their mind is so different. Um, so seven-year-old hockey, I want to get back to this because I'm going through a uh, – a stick sport obsession myself with okay. lacrosse. Okay. So I grew up on Long Island. Yeah. Lacrosse is king. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's come out to now to the West Coast. So my, my girls are just starting to play lacrosse. Yeah. But you have to, like with hockey or lacrosse or these stick sports, I think like you have, they have to start really young. If it's something that they want to pursue, I feel like seriously. Yeah. So yeah, at I seven, so. did he did just start at seven or is he? He started when he was five. Okay, right. And That's some Minnesota stuff. Yeah, he started when he was five. You <laughs> right. know, we moved here when he was three. Two years later, he kind of started to skate and pick mm-hmm. up. 
But you know, I have a friend who plays for the Wild, Jason right. Zucker, okay. who grew up in Vegas, mm-hmm. um, and he grew up roller skating. And his mom was a figure skater, and he didn't really. I don't think he started playing hockey until I think he was fourteen or fifteen. And you know, he's one of the best pro right. hockey players. But out he there. was in line. He was skating he was younger skating. than that. So like more just like as a skater kid. Yeah. And okay. I, you know what I what I love is and and is that you know when when. When Julius is around, just like when your girls are around, like people who are professionals, right? right? Whether it's an athlete or like a professional of what they do for a living, you know, just try to teach them, like, look, they're having what they're doing is a result of them having fun, mm-hmm. right? So the the profession of playing hockey or the profession of cooking, as a result, I get to have fun. The athletes get to have fun. It's not fun to lose. Right. You, you have to learn how to lose just like you have to learn how to win. There's a lot of amazing life lessons in the process. And so having that access of being able to cook for the hockey team gives me an opportunity to like teach my kids on the back end. Like, hey, do you remember when they lost that really important game the other day and you saw how they came out of the locker room, they shook everybody's hand and they still smiled? Mm-hmm. That's, there's, there's a life lesson there that you have to walk away from and think to yourself like, yes, it's an important game, but the fact that their three kids were there watching the game meant more to them. Yeah, right. and it's interesting because, like in our in our world specifically, I I mean now a little bit because of TV and media, but we aren't trained to lose, right, or how to deal with failure, right? right? And uh, it, it comes up a lot actually on the podcast. Is like that what you just said is like an athlete, you're going to lose even if you're great, right? You're going to lose three or four times every ten times, right? Yeah. I mean, a good team, what maybe okay if you're the Golden State or you know Warriors, right. maybe you're winning eight out of ten or nine. Right. But even then, you're going to lose twice, yep. right? Uh, and as like chefs or restaurateurs, we aren't really taught how to deal with losses, right? Right. I'm saying this to you as yeah, you, you beat me on Chopped All Stars. I did, right? You did in the point. last round. You, you got in my head, and it was like I, I, mean, I don't want to have to relive the moment with you. It <laughs> <laughs> was a good lesson that day for me. But okay. like he, Scott Conan beat me at the end of the day. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't. It's yeah. all rigged. <laughs> well, if Scott Conan beat you, perhaps. Yeah, that's, that's true. Th- there, you, yeah. there you go. You made yeah. meatballs. I'm sure they yeah. were delicious. Yeah. And like, yeah. I probably he's, legitimately he's, beat you, but Scott Scott was rigged. Right. Oh, see, see how it worked? Yeah. No, this is exactly how it is. Yeah. Yeah, you made a chocolate mousse. I made liquid nitrogen ice cream and a cake in a microwave. But, you know. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, there's no feelings. But this is exactly, like, in a joking way, but though, this is kind of what we're talking about, yes. right? We, we're not... Like in a sport, you go out there, okay, we go compete again, and you know, maybe, I, maybe I beat you, maybe I don't, you know what I mean? But we do it 10 times, yeah. and like, all right, you win, you lose. Yeah. But in restaurants, and but for the longest time, it was just what? Critics, critical reviews? Basically, that, right. Was that the only metric, really, yeah. we had? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, for a very long time, the most important metric, I think, was probably the Zagat Guide. Right. I, I would say. I mean, I think that, that that number meant a lot. You know, whatever the number was, I think it was up to 30, right? I think it was like out of 30. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. So whatever the, the metric of Zagat was, I think was a really important reach because we didn't really have anything nationally. I mean, I remember when I started at Cafe Belude, it was New York Times and the Zagat Guide. Right. Well, two of the biggest. I like. I, it was interesting that you say Zagat, I'm, that you didn't lead with the New York Times because as someone who worked in New York as well, yeah. a native New Yorker, like I felt like that. That's well, the Times the, is everything. The, oh, yeah. The Times. Uh, see, you just said it. Like, the Times is everything. The Times is everything. And uh, I don't know much about... Uh, Minnesota or Minneapolis and like food criticism I know what it's like in you know the San Diego area like there, there, there's, there's only one New York Times right I mean regardless of all the great work that's yep. being done nationally in all of these cities yep. like the a Times review carries a certain amount of weight it still does yep. uh, and in New York you, live in, you can live and die by it right yeah 100% right. so that's the only time that we would get like the Zagat guide though but I don't th- I feel like if you got a, like a 26 in the Zagat guide I don't know you worked 
in great places. Yeah, but you so know, like, the thing is, too, is that's you different. You wouldn't be upset. Right. Well, but the thing that's different, too, is that <clears throat> from us to, like, an athlete is that if you get reviewed, say, in the New York Times or in the Union Tribune in San Diego or the Star Tribune here in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. you get reviewed once. Yes. You get one shot at it. They don't, they don't, they don't come back. And say, okay, let's, let's, let's re-review this process and let's see what it's like again. So, and in some ways, I wonder when and if that will ever change. Only because restaurants are, they're living, breathing creatures and they completely evolve. And I've been to your restaurant multiple times in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I went, the first time I went, I think you were like brand new very early. Right. And then I went a couple of months ago, or, uh, six months ago. It's just, it's more delicious now than it was when I first started. Yeah. As it should be. Right. Because right. Your, your team has evolved. You have this new chef who started. I don't know how long he's been there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the food was exceptional. But th- the thing is, is that's also restaurants sort of have to grow into that personality. And we don't have, see, we don't have an off season and we don't have a training camp. Right. Right. In restaurants. We don't have any of those things. What we have is we have a financial obligation to open up a restaurant by a certain time before we start losing more money mm-hmm. and the doors need to open and the lights need to turn on. Yes. I love that. Uh, that's a perfect analogy. Hey, listen, Upserve is the industry's leading point of sale and restaurant management platform with actionable insights, transparent processing, automated inventory and online ordering, mobile restaurant management and seamless integration with leading third party restaurant apps. Upserve is your one stop shop. Upserve helps you streamline your operations, keep track of inventory and leverage in-depth analytics to grow your restaurant and your wallet. Think of it as the magic ingredient for restaurant success. I often say that Upserve is sort of like having another manager with everything you need to efficiently run your restaurant. A single hub provides five-star hospitality. They handle everything but the food and, you know, the actual human-to-human hospitality. Upserve, the industry's leading restaurant management platform and point of sale, allows you to spend more time with your guests and less time in the weeds. I love it for monitoring projects that I'm working on where I'm not on the ground. I get to use all of their useful analytics. You can learn more about Upserve and save $1,000 on a new POS today. Visit Upserve.com slash starving. Listen up again one more time. That's Upserve.com slash starving for $1,000 off. The metrics are more like the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Like you absolutely. get one shot yep. and then maybe four years later, yep. you get another shot at a review. But yep. not even so. We right? talk about that with Boku Store all the time. Mm. As, as like an Olympic-driven thing, it's like, you know, if you're, like, Lin- Lindsay Vaughn is from here. She's from Burnsville, Minnesota. Right. Right? So she is a, a hero of ours. Of course. And um, she's an amazing athlete. And she came into Spoon a couple of weeks ago um, with her boyfriend, PK, from the Predators. Mm-hmm. And it was great to have them in. And I just, I, I didn't, but I wanted to ask her so badly, like, how, what does it feel like? to train for four years and then take one shot down the slope to show the world that you did it right. Right. It's crazy. I mean, imagine that pressure. Imagine that, you know, that, that, that energy. I mean, obviously, she's amazing at it. She's, she's, she loves it because she kept doing it over and over again despite the surgeries and whatever. Right. Um, and she would get medals out of it. But yeah. That's it. Wow. This is, we're having an awesome conversation, by the way, just well, like as it. a sidebar. Yeah. Because I was also talking, my kids are playing, you know, again, they're playing soccer and lacrosse pretty much, right? But I, I had this epiphany or I thought it was an epiphany. And my wife, Jasmine, who usually is here side, my, my side, uh, didn't think it was as much of an epiphany right. as sometimes these things happen but i was like you know really what we're trying to do is like train our kids for the tryout mm-hmm. right because like i took my kids in one of these like soccer trials and there's hundreds mm-hmm. of 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 you know 11 year old girls running around to make you know 48 spots of like two rosters or whatever yep. it is and it's like that's something that like 
that's what you're like for the Olympics or like for the trials to get to the Olympics. You're like you're trying you're really trying to train them for that one moment, the audition that they need to land, yep. the job interview, the tryout for the team, yep. uh, singing that solo song, like whatever it is. And it's like I was like, yes, that's that's what we're trying to do here. It doesn't matter whatever they love. Even if they love it, it's going to be so hard to be the one of the best at it. You got to train them for like that one big moment. Yeah. And then PK is just like what every day I get to like shoot a couple of hundred mile per hour pucks. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's and the I, thing. I right? get to reset every day. They reset every day. Right. And and you know I think I think f- for them, just like for us, it becomes a bit of a mental game. You know, I mean that's the thing too is that you know in the restaurant world. Whatever happened yesterday, and I know you can relate to this, it's like, you know, you read the notes from the night before at your restaurant, mm-hmm. and let's say it's a tough service. I don't know about you, but when I read that it was a tough service the night before, I instinctively then think they're going to have a great service tonight. Because everybody's gone away from the tough service saying, okay, here's what was really hard. Here's what we need to come back to do tomorrow to make it a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a better service as a result. And those are the moments when you want to pull everybody aside and say, okay, so that, that, that mentality that you had going into today about being great, right. do that every day. Yeah. Because that will change what your days are. If you go into the mentality as like sluggish, I'm tired, it's too nice out, I shouldn't be in here, it's snowing, it's raining, the traffic sucked, the parking was terrible, whatever it is, you create all that distraction, you're pulling away from ultimately what you're trying to, trying to achieve, yeah. which is mm. the greatness. No, I love that. I, I uh, call it sort of like the underdog philosophy Mm -hmm. right it's like it's why like it's almost good not being the best sometimes because you're you're always then trying to be the best right right and it's why a lot of like championship sports team who knew this was going to be so much about sports today it's why so many championship teams rarely repeat or rarely get a chance to do it again because like when you are the best then like you know uh, it's easier to let up the gas if you like you might i mean here that that's got to be something that is a challenge for your team because like you, I mean, you're if if you, I mean w- the best restaurant in town nationally, it's on the tip of everyone's tongue, yeah. right? How do you fight that sort of like the the being complacent? Well, I mean, for us, we when it's good. I guess what I'm saying yeah. is when the when the notes are we crushed it tonight, right? Then how do you, how do you inspire? Have people? you ever read the book Eleven Rings? No. Oh, you have to read it. Okay. Or at least or at least like you know just just download it on your phone and listen to it. All right. Phil Jackson wrote it. Okay, there we go. So it's definitely a sports-driven book, and it's all about how he how he was a coach and, and his philosophies of coaching. And I, I won't give much of the book away because I want people to, that listen to this read it and take their own version of it. For me, it's been a really inspiring book as a leader to, mm. to, to watch the way, that, the way that he coached his teams and why Jordan was Jordan yeah. and, why, and how like Pippen and Rodman and the supporting team around him helped make him who he was. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you look at a team like that or you look at restaurants that are always considered the best um, or always considered at the top of whatever the game might be. And, you know, for, for us here, what we try to focus on a lot is uh, we try to focus less on the noise. We focus more on what we call the majestic moments of hospitality. Mm. So what are those majestic moments that we can find throughout the, throughout the day, throughout the night, throughout the experience of the guest? And knowing full well that we will absolutely fail at those every single day, we will have failures. And it's okay to go into your day knowing that because it's part of the process. If we cook for 250 people here at Spoon and Stable, 350 at Belcourt today, and 40 at, Spoon, at, at Demi, it's a lot of people that you have to be perfect for. It's not going to happen, and that's an okay thing to accept. So we try to peel back that, the layers of the onions a little bit, and we kind of look at it and we say, what are other ways that we can um, 
not only empower the team that's here, but then what are ways that we can give them an opportunity to look at it from a different angle? One of the things that I love about being back home in Minneapolis is that we don't feel as much of the pressure of, say, the really, really expensive rent that you would maybe feel in New York City or in mm. other big cities. So we close the restaurant 12 days a year. The team picks on how we close the days. If they want to do 12 in a row, if they want to split it up in three, it doesn't really make a difference to me. I just want us to like come together and figure out what that looks like. So during one of the closures that happened a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a development day, which was called Nourish. We've done it every single year since we opened Spoon. They've, of course, gotten bigger every single year since we've opened Spoon. And this November will be our five-year anniversary. Congrats. Thank you. So this year at Nourish, we had different speakers come in. We take the Walker Art Center, which is this beautiful art center around, uh, down the street from here. Um, and we take their auditorium. All 250-plus employees come down for the day. And we have different speakers come in and give talks. So Anthony Rudolph from Journey, and, and used to be a per se, and you know him. Um, he gave a great speech about uh, being an imposter. Mm -hmm. And uh, he basically said, <laughs> I mean, he said a lot, but one of the things that I took away from it was you can read a million self-help books, a million books on how to do business, 11 Rings, all of these books. Mm -hmm. Pick up a children's book. Read a children's book that's 14 pages long and tell me life lessons are not in that children's book about how to be confident, how to be driven, um, how to accept failure how to accept greatness, all of the things that we need to learn as adults that we read in a 400-page manual that's in 14 pages. And by the way, it probably rhymes. Right. So right. like, there's also that. <laughs> yeah. The entertainment level the entertainment might be better. Level. Right. So he, and pictures. Yeah. So right. he, and great sketches. So he read a great children's book. Uh, we had a guy named Patrick O'Brien come in and talk about um, life coaching. Made everybody in the room cry. Mm -hmm. Gave this incredibly inspiring speech about... Um, how to find your purpose as a human being and what that means and what that looks like. Uh, we had a guy named Craig Shea come in and talk about 401k and financial planning. So he'll send emails. He just sent an email two days ago that said, if you buy a glass, if you buy a bottle of water every single day and you take that, if you stop buying the bottle of water every single day, it'll equate to $532 a year. Right. Okay. If you take that 532, you put it into your 401k, this is what it equals by the time you're 65. Right. Just to like get people to understand here that we're not trying to get you to work paycheck to paycheck. We want you to think broader than that. Yeah, this came up in a panel actually that I did. And uh, I won't say who the other chef was who's world-renowned as well. But I say I, I try and, and it seems like you're doing it here, which is incredible, by the way. That, that's just like a – I mean people can reach out to you if they want to know about Please. how they can do things like this for their organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, that's it. But like treat your – and like you have now a growing business, multiple locations. But treat your – even if it's one restaurant, as much as you can, try and treat it like it's Google. Right. right. I don't know if you agree, but like this sort of thing that you're saying, you, you have this workshop week, basically, right. you're investing, uh, you know, time to educate people, not just on how to make a great sauce, how to, how to, how to, how to do this one technique in the kitchen or on the service floor, yeah. but like how to live a better life. And like you work for great chefs and you can you come from like, I mean, if anyone's res, you have like the most spectacular resume. Yeah, people thanks. know this. Yeah. Um, but like we've reached that world. Like for you, I'm sure it was like with me, like there's, there was a sense in the world, you know, years and years ago, that like misery was okay. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And I mean, it's like, and if you weren't working, you know, 100 hours, and if you weren't that person who, you know, could just endure the, the hardship of all it, like you weren't good enough. It's all about shame, right? Mm. I mean, the two most powerful things a human being can feel are love and shame. Mm. So we have a, a, a training manual that we, ha we wrote for Demi. It's about 98 pages long. 
uh, 16 pages of all about kindness. But we talked a lot. We talked about three hours one day about the word shame and what that means. And I'll give you an example. If you go into a restaurant and the restaurant is full, the bar is packed, the lounge is packed, you know there's no place that you're going to sit down. And you go up and the host or the hostess sort of gives you this look like, why are you here? You know you can't sit down and puts you, gives you shame. Mm-hmm. As a human, you go back to like when you were in the sixth grade and you didn't get picked for the kickball team. Right. And your, your, your feeling, actually, your body, your mind, your soul goes back to that feeling. And you turn around and you walk out and you leave. You're not ever going to go back to that restaurant because they didn't say, we have a seat for you. You're not going to go back to that restaurant because that feeling that was made for you, which was shame. And it's a really, um, it's a really powerful thing when, when, when a guest walks into your restaurant and is looking to enjoy dinner or have a glass of wine or sit at the bar and, and have a water or whatever. Like, there's a really powerful thing to like accept that person and sit them down. And I think that, you know, working in this business, um, as long as you and I have known, it has always been this really rugged industry. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about today's day, you know, it's like one of the things that, that I thought a lot about and have always thought a lot about is like, how do we, how do we remove the word industry from what we do and, and really turn it into the profession that we all want it to become, you know? And then I, I start to think pretty deep about, you know, the, the, the generation prior to us and what they helped create. You worked for Thomas, mm-hmm. you know, you traveled the world with him, you know, you, that, I love that infamous picture of you in Hawaii with he and Grant and you guys yeah, are all Thank God us. someone snapped it. Right? Thank God someone <laughs> snapped it, right? right? But it's like, you know, you got to see parts of the world that you might not have ever have seen because you worked for the Sure. Okay? So that generation opened up this clamshell to us that we had never really seen. So what's our, now what are we going to do? And it falls on us. And it's a really, I think it's a really, I don't know the answer to it. I don't think anybody does yet. I think we're trying to live through that every day. Um, I do genuinely be- believe, which is why I moved back home, that, that uh, just why, like why you moved to San Diego, you don't have to be in a New York City, San Francisco, and Chicago to, to be a part of the best. Right. You can create that in all these other cities too. Uh, and the food culture is just getting stronger and thicker and people are weaving more and more into that fabric. Um, but what are we going to do to really turn this into the profession that it deserves to be? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're doing it, obviously. We're trying. Yeah. I mean, you're trying. trying. Yeah. And uh, it is. I mean, even especially in the last couple of years, we know that we're, we're going through some things as an industry. Sorry to use that, that word here, but we need to, you know, yeah. I, I love what you're saying there. But like they're, you know, with some, with, uh, you know, morels grow after a fire. Right. Uh, right. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to use some clever chef sort of yeah. analogy here, but like, you know, the, I think that some of the negative things that we've had to go through are causing everyone to, to look in the mirror and sort of create, you know, more positive environments. Uh, but I love what you're doing for your team. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, Allison Arth, who is our, um, She's basically the director of, kind of the director of culture. We call her the chief of stuff, chief of staff. She's my right hand to everything. We've worked together for over a decade. She, we worked together at Cafe Balut as well. She's amazing, and she really helps put together this entire day. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, not, not only that, but then also just sitting down with the team, like one-on-one and having these conversations about, you know, how to, how to talk to people and how to manage, how to have that discussion. Chief, chief of staff is becoming a very trendy, like, uh, position chief now. Chief of stuff. Yeah, stuff. I yeah, like yeah. even yeah, better. Chief but, of stuff. But, but yeah, which chief is of chief of too. staff yeah, yeah, is of also, course. like, you know, I'm starting to see, like, whether it's your, like, you know, your, your number one person sort of is getting that title a lot now. Yeah. So trend alert. Yeah, that chief, chief that. of staff or stuff in this case yeah. is something that's happening. Hey, you know what I love, Jasmine? What? Foster cats. Aww. 
right? They've really made me also appreciate our dog. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And you may not realize that Family Blaze are foster parents, but it's great for us and great for the girls. We are taking care of some cats from time to time. And uh, we love all the kitties that are coming through. And maybe uh, my favorite part is naming them. I think you should tell everyone the most recent cat that came through here. Our last stay was with Kitty Purry. That's right. Kitty Purry. Not Katy Perry. Perry. But... Kitty came to us on 4th of July. Yeah. So we figured it was appropriate with the whole fireworks song there you and all go. that. Okay. And that there, was the connection. There is one link connection yeah, that goes it. there. Uh, and what I, what I really love, though, is because um, you know I love naming them, is that if it was a boy, oh, Kitty Perry was a girl. Best. But if the cat was a girl, This was a my boy, name. I'm going to claim this. If it was a boy, you were like, we're Be- going to name because him? Because it was coming on July 4th, we were going to name him Paul Revere. Yeah. Paul Revere. <laughs> Paul that Revere. is classic. Uh, but you know what? We don't love cleaning up after whether it's Paul Revere or Kitty Purry, which is why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nasties when you scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Make sure to stick around after this podcast to get the latest headlines from the AP News Minute. Listen up, ladies. Are you looking for a relatable, unapologetic view on life? The Ladies Like Us on podcast is now on the Lady Gang Network and Podcast One. Let Nazanin, Mandy, and Nadia Moham provide you with a modern-day women's perspective on the universal issues we face each and every day. Download new episodes of Ladies Like Us with Nazanin and Nadia every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. You're listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. Was it hard for you? And this is, and I do not, I did not stay with TK and with Danielle as like as long as you did. You you did like the proper, you executed the proper right. mentorship protege. Yeah. Uh, you're you're kind of blinked a little, right? Yeah, quite, but like you did it like the like the old school way. Yeah. And did it the right way, quite honestly. And Thank like you. you executed that to perfection. But was it tough for you when it became your own thing? To not just do the things that you, mm. because they're great too. Yeah. So like if you were if you were doing everything that Danielle or TK did, you'd be doing everything right. I think what I think what was really there was a time when I was working for Danielle where the light kind of switched in my head and it turned on and it was like I really have to treat this restaurant like I do own the restaurant and if I don't if I don't really buy into it and if I don't really give it everything I've got. Why the hell am I here? And mm-hmm. what am I putting in all this work for? And why am I really, why did I really want to come and work, work for this man? When that happened, that really changed a lot with me. And it changed a lot inside of me. And I, and I started to then really understand um, what it was that he was doing. And then I actually really then started to believe why I took the job in the first place, which was to take the cheap seats, sit up there, and watch how somebody like Danielle navigated and maneuvered his way through this business. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I had never seen that. I mean, I had always been, you know, up until that point, even if I had a title of chef, I was a cook. And I could have been given the title, but I was just cooking food. And I was cooking every day, and it was just like your head was down and you were in it. And I wanted to see more, and I wanted to understand how how this could be be played out. When I took, when, when when we opened Spoon... The day that I so Danielle and I had talked about this for years. I mean, it was not a surprise to him or to anybody within his organization that closely. And I remember saying to him, like, no matter what, when I'm ready to leave, the kitchen will be set with a team. I'm not. Nobody is going to leave. I'm not going to like resign, and then t- the, the team members are going to walk out. Right. Um, 
it, it's it's not okay. And this was just ethical though, not not also contractual. Right, not right, okay, contractual yeah, yeah. at all. This is like this was this is this is I, I need to sleep good at night. Sure, sure. And so uh, Aaron Bludorn, who was who was my sous chef, he was my number two. He tried to resign once. He sat me down. He's like, Chef, you know, I need to move on. And I said, Tell me, where are you going to go? And he's like, Well, I want to go work at Eleven Madison Park, and then maybe Mama Fuku Co. And then I want to move back home to Seattle, and I want to open my own restaurant. I said, That sounds amazing. I mean, my God. So let me just get this straight. So you're going to be a cook at Cafe Balud. You're going to be a cook at Eleven Madison Park, and then you're going to be a cook at Mama Fuku Co. And then you're going to go home and you're going to try to own your own business. Right. And he's like, Yeah. And I said, So where does the ownership start? Because I'm lost on how you're going to figure that out in cooking for six years. And I said, your resignation is not accepted, but I really appreciate the conversation. And I left the room. Right. And the whole thing to me was like, I will train you to be the chef. You'll take Cafe Balud. But I'm like, I can't tell you that. Right. So when I signed the lease for Spoon and Stable, I signed it in the morning. I resigned with Danielle officially that afternoon. Had drinks with Aaron that night and said, you're the new chef of Cafe Balud. You'll start June 1st. My last day is May 31st. Don't tell anybody. We're just going to go through the process. And, you know, for, for me... There was a time when we opened Spoon, about two or three weeks after we opened it, where there was a lot of energy about what we were trying to create and a lot of stigma and a lot of judgment um, and really kind of tested my ego and tested my pride and really Mm. tested everything that I thought was what I wanted Spoon to become. And it was the first time ever that I was the actual owner and had to deal with it. Up until that point, the difference, to get to your question, was that no matter what I did, the person in print was Danielle Balud, mm-hmm. not Gavin Kaysen. When your name is in print, it's a different situation. And it made me question for the first time what it was that I was doing. I had never questioned that before. Oh, wow. And so I was, I was, I was a little like floored by myself questioning that. So I called Danielle and asked him. And I called Thomas and asked him. And I asked both of them, like, what do I do? You know, they're questioning what we're creating. They're questioning if it's good enough. They're questioning that. And Danielle, both Danielle and Thomas gave gave me basically the same advice, which was, if you believe what you're creating and what you're cooking is what you want to be doing, just keep doing that. Don't change for it. Don't adapt to anybody else. Don't adapt to all of the other noise around you. You know what you want to create. You know what you want to do. And I think that that was a really important turning point for me because it made me realize, like, I believe that if I believe that I'm on the right track and I get the team around me to believe in that, that's more powerful than anything that can be written. Mm. Now, was a lot of that, was it, um, it seems like it was from the public's perception of what the restaurant was going to be. Of course. Was it from like the luxury part of it? Because that's, even me, I I did exactly what you told your chef not to do. I I was like, I'm going to go bounce and, and run a restaurant, even though I've never really done it. Yeah. And but but I know what the seafood station looks like at Danielle, and I know what the right. yeah, so like I'm gonna go run the seafood restaurant, and yeah, I'm gonna have a, a truck full of caviar. It doesn't work in Atlanta, Georgia, in the middle mid nineties, right. right? Putting caviar on the menu, you know what I mean? Like right. so, I I thought yeah, this will be easy to transfer anywhere. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily the case. I had to learn a lot of hard lessons yeah. about how luxury, you know, can translate. Was was part of it that, or just because you're coming from these places that are I think so? I think a so lot of it was prestigious. That, yeah, you come from you come from a from a organization like Danielle Balud's organization. I think it's a, I think there's this this preconceived thought of what it, the food is going to become and what the food should be. Mm. Um, and you know, listen, that's that's the hard part, right? Like when you work for somebody that long, what is your personality of food? Because it can't. As much of your personality that can come through to that food, my job every day was to make sure that people walked into that restaurant um, having a delicious meal, knowing that it came from the roots of Danielle. There was a time in 2008, I took a trip to Lyon, France, 
for Boku's store to move all of my equipment out of storage and into Danielle's father's shed. Okay? Right. <laughs> and I needed to get it out of storage because I was paying for the storage unit every month. And so I flew out there. I moved everything away. And um, his father, Julian, came out and asked if I wanted a cup of coffee. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So I sat down and had a coffee with him. That coffee turned into a four-hour lunch that he and his wife had made for me. And it was just the three of us having lunch. And, you know, there... I speak okay French. They don't speak English. So we had a wonderful conversation as right. a result, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And um, I got out of that, that day and I called Danielle and I said, I, I understand why you're the chef you are and I understand why you're a four-star chef and I don't mean the rating. Yeah. I mean the hospitality. That house that I ate in was the original Cafe Balloon built in 1901. Mm. As I'm driving away from that farm, I got chills and I still get chills thinking about the fact that when, you were, when I was in New York City cooking at Cafe Blood or Toronto or Palm Beach, we were representing what that restaurant was in 1901 in a small farm in Lyon, France. Mm-hmm. How do you extrapolate that feeling and that, that emotion and put it into everybody that cooks and serves you in those restaurants? And so that was my job. That was to find that personality in those three restaurants. And to give up your own personality for that long to locate that yeah. is really an important way to sort of eventually then find who you are. Right. That's, in, that's incredible. Now, I'm assuming then that farm, having someone who spent a little bit of time in that system, is this where all of the, like, the picture of Danielle holding the goose, getting yeah. ready to board the train. It's all there. Like, all it's of that. crazy. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, the original picture, which you know, is, yeah. is that Cafe Blue, and there's three guys smoking a pipe. There's yeah. a little kid and three women, right? That little, that little boy is his, is his grandfather. Right. That, that's Danielle's grandfather. And that door is the front door to his parents' home. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Dude, this is, we're going to have to do a part two at some point. Yeah, this was awesome. Because like, you're getting into it. At the halfway point, uh, we usually like to play a little bit of a game or two. Yeah. You down to play? Yeah, I, This one is specifically built for you. It's called Case in Point. Love that. Right? Right. There you I go. Mean, I don't know if this, I mean, I'm Listen, I want to open up like a hot dog stand that <laughs> says that. It's kind of good, right? Or maybe for you, it would be Case in Point. Case in Point. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not bored, bad puns. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you a statement, and then you, you, you'll take the hard line on, on whether you agree or not. Okay. It sounds good, and you can expand however you want. Cooks aren't what they used to be. Cooks aren't what they used to be. Um, true. I think they're actually a lot smarter now than what Ooh, they used to be. Nice turn. Nice yeah. turn right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Because the thing is, they have, they have more to listen to. They have more to see. Right. You know, if you think about it now, when you and I grew up cooking, there was no sharing of the recipes. Right? Yeah, no, this is this is this is Dude, deep right here. This is I mean, a deep old school I'm like telling you. cook stuff. Right. I was so upset when the French laundry cookbook came out. Come on. I was upset. Yeah, of course. I was like, I have a whole moleskin filled right. with all these recipes and now everyone now I mean, everybody has them. talking yeah. about right now everyone yeah. has it. Now there's a little nuance that's of course left out is. of the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that really bothered me for the yeah. first time because I was like, why that's sort of like one of the reasons why you worked in a place like yeah. that. Yeah was to get the recipe and in grams, you know, these things that were a big deal. I mean, that moleskin of recipes is basically your tattoo of working in that space. It really is. And now it's all shareable. And it also used to be just like you'd have to copy it from someone else's moleskin. Like quickly. You didn't even get like the whole, like you didn't get like a a menu book, which like, you know, nowadays with the more restaurants we own, it's good to have things like that. Now what they do, they take pictures of the recipes. 
They don't even right. have to copy it down. They take a picture, and then they have time to actually read it. Right. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I can't remember how many recipes I copied in the bathroom. That's what I'm hoping saying. Hoping I wouldn't get caught yeah. by the chef. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you might be writing down a recipe if I'm working Garmage and I want it, I want this sauce on the fish station. Oh, God forbid. And, like, you haven't got to the fish station yet. So you shouldn't be. You don't you, need you don't to get know the recipe. what that, what that uh, port reduction is. It's coming off like the potato-crusted sea bass or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Get back to your, get back to get your, back station. To your station, Ricky. Nice turn there. Hey, listen, for 120 years, S. Pellegrino has been sponsoring our podcast. That, just kidding. <laughs> but they have been for we the whole ride. You. We love you, S. Pellegrino. For 120 years, they've been making sparkling mineral water and has been the iconic symbol of style and taste thanks to the Italian heritage. In a world of unlimited choices, the iconic green bottle, the one right here in front of me with the red star, has become a universal beacon of unique taste experiences. And with its distinctive gentle bubbles, subtle nuances, and perfect mineral balance, S. Pellegrino not only pairs well, it enhances the taste of nearly all cuisines, like the steaks uh, and the pork chops that I have outside on the grill right now. That's why we serve it in all my restaurants, and like I said, here at home with Family Blaze. It's special experiences with family and friends that matter the most. You know, the crowded dinner table, a shared moment, a time to reconnect, tell stories, be thankful, laugh, and have fun. And as we move through the second half of this year, plan for unforgettable meals and the most memorable moments with S. Pellegrino on the table, you'll find a moment of great taste waiting to be enjoyed. To unlock more tasteful moments and culinary tips, visit www.sanpellegrino.com slash US. That's www.sanpellegrino.com slash US. Uh, social media makes restaurants better. Uh, I think it makes them more accessible. I don't know if it necessarily makes them better, but it certainly makes them more accessible. Um, <clears throat> I think what they also allows you to do is it allows you to reach beyond your, your walls. I will tell you from seeing it, living it, and breathing it, being in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where most people would not come and always visit, mm-hmm. um, to see our social media platforms have such a large reach, uh, and having people come into the restaurants and say, I live in New York City, but I follow, follow you guys on social media, that's why I'm here. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. It is powerful. What about, do you let your cooks uh, use their phones to take pictures? During a shift, or what's your? This is more just me getting um, some consultation from I'm not you. Not sure if they have a ton of time to necessarily yeah. do it, right? But if they, you know, I mean, I, I see it happen every once in a while. The thing is, is we're we're creating a new platform, a new recipe platform that that will basically they'll need their phones. Oh, okay. As a result, yeah. Um, so you're embracing the technology. It's not like I mean, of course, there. you don't want anyone, you know, scrolling through their own personal Snapchat right. while they're supposed to be doing something, right? But it also is just a part of – it's an extension of our hands almost. It is. And I think at the end of the day too, I mean if you're really, you know, if you're, if you're really kind of leading up to the times of it, it's, you, got, you, have to, you have to use it. Right. You okay. Know? So you – okay. Uh, here's one. Sous vide's the best way to cook all meat. No. We don't even do it. Not, not at all. No. Oh, I like it. Yeah, like we don't it. even do it. I will tell you, Ashley Christensen came in to give a speech during our Nourish um, conference, she, which was amazing. Her podcast is next week on this, yeah, on this show. Yeah, and she yeah. is amazing, and I love her, and, and it was such an inspiring speech that she gave. She came in, she had dinner the night before at Demi at our newest restaurant, and she said to me the next day when we had dinner together, she said, we left there like on cloud nine dancing. Mm. And I said, well, what was it about the restaurant? She said, you cooked everything. You could smell it. You could like hear the lamb fat crackling on the grill. She's like all just watching and smelling that sensation. She's like, you sort of reinstored, you know, restored like what fine dining can be. Now, was that, has, has that been a turn at some point? Like uh, sous vide specifically? Like was um, there a point where you were more... Uh, where, where I mean, you've never used it here at the restaurant at all. We or? Ha- no, okay. we have. Okay. I mean, we have, and we we still do. We just don't use it a lot. I think for me, it's just I, I don't know about for you, but for me, I got to a point where 
And sous vide kind of got to a point where everybody relied so much on that. And especially being at Cafe Blue, like a cafe, you had to cook. Right. Okay. So got to a point where it became so much about the sous vide craze that it yeah. was like, do we still know how to render the duck? Can we still just do that first? Because if we can do that, like I'm all for, I actually remember a cook coming up to me and saying, chef, I really want to do these amazing like glass egg noodles. I read the Ferran Adria book, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, amazing. Just can you make pasta with bolognese real quick for me for lunch? Right. He's like, sorry. And I was like, yeah. you do that, right? Yeah. You can make whatever they Whatever glass noodle you want. It's very, very true. I mean, I'm old enough that I remember like someone like bringing in their own circulator into Danielle, like before it, like, yeah. it was even being used. Yeah. Like, it, like immersion blenders were like the biggest technology. Yeah. Like you can make a frothy cappuccino soup. Like that was the, which is still one of my favorite well, I uh, think, plug-in but, tools. But, you know, you use it well and we use it well. But we don't use it for everything. So right. I, I, mean, they, I agree with you. Like there there's amazing. a lot of things that yeah. are not as good. And it was actually Ashley Christensen on, on this podcast two weeks ago. Yeah, uh, that was saying you know like um, not a, we don't want everything to taste like cured ham, right? And there's there's that point with sous vide where that can happen, right? can, especially yeah. if you're brining. Okay, what about uh, New York? Isn't the mecca of fine dining in the USA anymore? Oh, that's a good one. Now, um, who, like you're all, you're pretty much a New Yorker. I mean, I yeah, know you, I know this is where you're born and bred, but yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think that. I, to me, I, I still think that, a, that the heart of fine dining and a lot of like where that um, culture originated from comes from New York to mm-hmm. me. So it might not be the mecca of it today, but what I learned is that it all comes back around. And there are places in San Francisco and L.A. and everybody's like right now, as you know, I mean, it's the L.A., 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 L.A. Everybody's yeah. talking about that. And I would agree. No question about it. But. You know, having an amazing lunch at La Bernadette on like a Wednesday afternoon in the middle of Manhattan, I don't know. It's pretty tough to beat. <laughs> that is. You know, right. uh, it's yeah, pretty tough to beat. Where you're eating like bluefish tartare and yeah. like there's not a part of your Long Island soul that thinks this should be stinky. Yeah. It's like the most miraculous like It blows thing. your mind. Yeah. I agree with you. As far And you know what? The key there is fine dining. Yeah. New York still, as far as fine dining, yeah. there's just too many. There's, there's, there's more places. And they can support it. I mean, you know, you look at the tablecloths that they use and the flowers. See, that's the other thing. And you and I know is that you walk into a restaurant and you see all of those nuances that are part of that experience, that all costs money. Yeah. And and pe- pe- the average person doesn't understand that at right. all. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have on this staff. We're, we're in at Juniper and Ivy now exploring the idea of the florist. Right. Right? Right. That's a whole – I mean, that, that's a commitment. Huge. You know? I mean, you're coming from places that had baristas on right. staff. Before Absolutely. Starbucks really had baristas. Absolutely. You know, like, I mean – One bread guy. All he does oh, is serve the bread. Right. That's so, like, it. I, I mean – that's like luxury, yes. right? And yes. you can't do that everywhere else. Uh, but for fine dining, I think still New York. Uh, Minneapolis is the most underrated food city in the U.S. I agree. Yeah, I mean that you have you have to say that as a homer. Yeah, yeah. I but but I also but I also agree because we kind of do that to ourselves a little bit as well. We we min, as as a, as a Minnesotan, we we love being the underdogs. Mm. Uh, you'll hear a lot of people if you spend a lot of time here that'll say like, you know, we like that it's cold. It keeps the riffraff out. We like this, you sure, know, like sure. all of these sort of sayings that Minnesotans have, um, which I appreciate and can relate to. But I think it's an incredibly underrated city um, that it, when it comes to food, and I think the, the, a lot of that comes from the fact that. You know, people just don't think about visiting here. or They think it's too cold in the winter or that's not a good thing or what the persona of that might be. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about exploration. But I like that you said it, like, like, like being the underdog. And I also asked last night on my show, I was like, everyone's so nice here. Is it a true thing or is it just like a stereotype? And they're like, no, it's true, but we're really, no, it's not true. We're really just passive aggressive a Very. little bit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. I'll tell you, like if you're in Minnesota and subs, somebody says, if you ask somebody, like, how was this dish? And they're like, oh, it was fine. Right, yeah. I mean, it's like somebody in the <laughs> South saying, bless your heart. Right, right. Like, okay, it's not a go. good thing. Yeah. Right? That, right. It's like there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, unsaid things that are yeah. happening there. Uh, Salt Bay, you know who Salt Bay is. Yeah. He's the most influential person in uh, food media right now. Clearly. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Nothing else needs to be said. Clearly, uh, I talk way too much about Salt Bay. I've never met the man. I think there's more than one Salt Bay. It comes up. There's no question in my mind. Oh, you agree with this? Hundred percent. No I think there's ten of them. This I think there's got to be. There's ten of them. I mean, yes, you have to be jacked. You have to be really fit. You got to have your hair in a tight pony, but in a tight V-neck white tee and a ponytail, and you're good to go. There is a small island somewhere off the off of Corsica that is like producing salt bays, and they are spitting them out. I think at, like so. and then they just dispatch right one to Miami, one to Vegas, one to Dubai. And they all sit there with their little salt. That's it. I can't even do that move, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, stunt food. Stunt food. Thought your your thoughts. What's stunt food. What is so that? stunt food is like um, you know you have too much time because you're a chef with a lot of integrity um, on Instagram. You know, a hamburger with 39 patties got it, and got a it, got sword yeah. and just cheese melting off. You know, food that, like, when you look at it, you hit like because you're like, that's crazy. Yeah. But it was built specifically for that moment. No one's eating it. Yeah, I don't understand that. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't but you I, get all the likes, chef. I, I, you get I know. All the likes. I know. But you know what? It's like you get all the likes, but how many people are coming in to order it? Right. So no one here has suggested um, to do, like, the Bloody Mary with, like, 19 garnishes on it and... I hope not. If okay. they do, they're, right. out, they're out the back door. There, there you go. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's like I don't need a, a mini hamburger and a shrimp cocktail on right. my right. – uh, maybe just the shrimp cocktail. And then the fried chicken on the side. Exactly. And right. what? And Ashley Christensen will fly here and slap you in the face as you drink it. But that's well, – that, that would get a that lot of That I would do. Yeah, that, that one because she's too sweet. I don't think it would happen. Yeah. Uh, Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings will get to the NFC Conference Championship this upcoming They year. certainly have to. Okay. I'll tell you what's good. I saw an ESPN analyst the other day say the Vikings are going to go 5-11. and 11. Right. Okay. There's no better thing you could have said than right. to tell us we're going to go 5-11. and 11. That's true. Because the same things it, we've been talking about. Oh, my right? God. If you yeah. tell us we're going to go 13-3, and three, yeah. we're done. Right. 5-11. and 11, We'll be in the championship. And who's the quarterback? The quarterback now is Kirk uh, Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Who, um, I mean, look at the twins right now. Why are you not cooking for Kirk Cousins? Here's why I say this. I watched some little like NFL Network thing one day, just randomly in a hotel. I turned yeah. it on. It's Kirk Cousins. And it's like he's got just a freezer of like venison meat. And it was like he was like cooking every night. But like you, you need to like need get to the venison out of the freezer. Yeah, I got to talk to him. I think that I'll should happen. You take on the Vikings as well as the Wild. I'll talk right. to him. I'll okay. talk. Kevin Warren, he's the he's the king over there. He's are you amazing. cooking real quick? Uh, uh, are you cooking totally differently though? Because you're cooking for athletes. Like I mean, we have the as an example at Juniper and Ivy in San Diego this week. We have the women's French rugby team coming in. Amazing. And they have a special athletic menu because they're performing. They're, sure. They're competing. Yes. So it's like literally pasta with olive oil. Yes. And crudite. Yep. Like and that's that what they want. That's what we're going to give them. Right. Because hockey players are a little different. <laughs> They're yeah, a little yeah. different, and they're you know you regional you, you you have to think about it. You got some guys that are from Russia, and some guys that are from Moorhead, Minnesota. Right, some right. guys from Finland. So they're kind of all over the board. The one thing that we try to focus on immediately is we remove sugar from their diet. Okay, okay. So we try to take sugar out of their body as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. We focus on heavy protein, uh, and then if they have like a long if they have a long series of of away games, they come back home and they've been crushing it. You know, we know what they want. Sloppy yeah. Joe's or something Treat that's like home, homie. But are they so indi- – do you get like dossiers for like individual athletes? Yeah. Pretty sm- that's Absolutely. Amazing. That's amazing. No surstriming? Are no. you doing okay. – No, we're not doing it yet. <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. Uh, have you done that at no. all? No. Okay. No. I tried. I just was in Stockholm recently and I, you can't even travel with it. I know. 
Like the stuff is. I just want to smell it once. It's like a curious person. It. Okay, and it's, it is putrid. Uh, putrid. Okay. I have a video. Magnus was here. Yes. Uh, doing a book tour. Maybe it was two years ago. And I have a video of him opening it. You open it in a bucket of water. Right. Right. <laughs> Anything that you have to open. And you watch the air pockets of of just this yeah. awful oh. putrid smell come out. It's like farting in a bathtub. This is a Dutch <laughs> oven to a whole right, I was going to say, this is like an under, <laughs> underwater, stinky fish Dutch oven. Uh, AZ should run for political office. No question about it. Don't you think? I just was hanging with him in Aspen, and like, it's going to happen. Just, just go ahead. Rip off the Band-Aid and just go for it. Just go for it. You're already t- talking the talk. Might he as well is. just do it. Yeah. Uh, tasty menus are dead, chef. Not true at all. Oh, well, you got serious about this one. Not okay. true at all. All right, so you're doing them here. Or- we do them at Demi. Okay. So it's a tasty menu only restaurant. It's 20 seats. We do 40 people a night. We're closed two nights a week, so it's five days a week. We focus to do 200 people. You do two, two different menus, the Barrington menu and the W.C. Whitney menu. We do not tell you how many courses you're going to get. We do not tell you what you're going to eat. We don't tell you how many courses because we never want you to count. Right. If I tell you that you and your wife are going to have 12 courses, at what point do you start counting? Yeah. And then Ooh. when you start to count, does that start to take away the appeal of the experience? Because then you say to yourself, well, we're at seven. Can we do five more? We can make it. We can get through it. Mm. I don't want it to be that experience. I just want you to know that it's coming. Right? Love that. Yes. Love so it. I think tasty menus are, are not dead. I think that, that they are actually a, um, a more approachable way to find dining than people have ever realized before. And I think that, that our, our, our profession has done a great job at getting the public to trust us to cook for them. In Minneapolis, our guests are amazing. And it is what makes this food town an amazing food mm. town. I'm going to flip it on you. Are they coming back? They or, are. Or, or, yes, okay. They I, are. I think so as well. And like, there's a part of me, you know, as a chef, there's a part of me like, like that's where really the artist yeah. sort of steps outside. I right? agree. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's something I miss. And it's, uh, until recently, uh, for Jasmine's birthday, we went to the laundry. And it's like, it had been a while since I had like a true yeah. three-star, like, boom, tasting yeah. menu. And I was blown, blown away. Yeah. By all the little, and, and, and even not just the food, the service, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. Like you but said. you know, you need, you need to get away from it a little bit to then go back and be like, holy cow, like, this is, this is it. Right. This is what I. This is what I miss. The tasting menu, that energy, and that that innovative like feeling, and you know the creative energy in the back is just like flying. It's inspiring. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, I feel you. Um, why? Well, this is well. The case in point here is uh, Scandinavian countries dominate the Boku's door. God, they crush us. What, why? Okay, so so why? So then, what's the case in point here? Why? So I'll tell you. My okay. wife is Swedish, and right. I thought for sure if I would marry her, I'd get in some inside scoop. I've got <laughs> nothing. You go. You're trying to go for the DNA. I am I'm as really... well, thirteen percent Swedish. Uh, but no, you not, not no inside. Is there an inside take on this though? Like, so they start really young. Okay, okay. I mean they, they they basic. There's a guy who's trying out from Norway named Philippe who actually worked at Danielle mm-hmm. as well, and and I'm sure he'll do well. He's trying out for the nationals. These, these young chefs, they'll commit to it at 14 okay. that they want to do Boku Store. Mm. And then their path to getting there is to work for one or two of the chefs who have won the Boku Store. Right. And, and that's the commitment. You work for me for X amount of years. I'll get you to the Boku Store. You're going to be a Komi when you're 18 years old. And then you're going to work for me for another couple of years. And then you're going to go and you're going to compete at 22 and you'll be ready to go and you'll be primed. Right. And they just dominate. Okay. They so, just, I mean, going back to, like, um, the hockey, like, you, you, they're putting them on skates young. 100%, yeah. I mean, look at Rasmus Koford from right. Germanium in Denmark. I right. competed against Rasmus in 2007. He's the only human being on the planet to have the silver, the bronze, and the gold. Boku store. Right. He's won all three of them. 
He wins the gold. He's up, sta- he's up on stage. He's in front of thousands of people. He's the Michael Phelps right. of, like, Boku's Door. And I love it. They give him this interview. They're like, Grasmus, how does it feel to finally win the Boku's Door after nine years of competing and training? What does it feel like? Both you and I, I'm, I'm sitting there imagining, like, what a PR moment. He grabs the microphone. He says, I don't know what it's like to be let out of prison, but this is certainly how it feels. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Nice. You know, nine years of training. All right. So Jordan grabs the 11 rings and that's what he says. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, so, but that's, it's just that they train early. But like, even them, they're not, I mean, it's not like they're working, or this, you can answer that. I'm just curious about Boku's door because I don't have really any insight into it. Is, but they're not tr- putting food on platters in their restaurants that they're training at, right? Like, it's a very specific side training, right? It I mean, is. Yes, the, the techniques. Are probably, but I think it's showcased. the support. I think it's the fact that everybody now the U.S. is starting to do this, right? So in 2007, I competed. 2008, the Mentor Foundation was created by Jerome Bocuse, Danielle Balud, Thomas Keller, myself, and so that now we have the 2009, 11, 13, 15, 17 candidates to help us in 19. So we have all these candidates that can now help us, and they come back to the team and they can give some really strong insight. When I competed in 2007. I called Fritz Gerstner, who was the chef in 2005, and asked him about advice to the competition. Does he have pots and pans over there? Nothing. He's like, I brought it from my country club. I'm like, so we start from ground zero on how to compete. These teams don't even have to worry about that. I mean, I joke about it all the time, but I remember being in the Bocuse Institute de Paul Bocuse, and I was training there. And I'm like the Jamaican bobsled team and the Norwegian team has like 15 guys rolling up in matching jackets and like a, you know, spiffed out like Mercedes Benz delivery truck, like right. unloading equipment. And I'm like, I got Cisco plastic wrap. I hope I'm hope I'm ready. <laughs> right. You know, like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> right. Hey, so that plastic wrap you can drop in the fryer. Something right. Like that. That's true. You can. Yeah. It's Which good. is kind of an amazing. Maybe they can't do that. <laughs> uh, uh, why is there not more coverage on television specifically like why I mean I know there have been some documentaries and stuff but like yeah. why don't they just like it's it's. I feel like there's this soccer analogy too like it is like soccer in the US yeah but like if they just put it on TV like I'm a big lacrosse player this year they just started playing lacrosse on NBC it right. will grow the game because right. it's visible yeah I think I think Boku's door I don't know why but I think Boku's door is like a mix between like figure skating and soccer mm. like there's only so much of it that you can actually watch uh, but soccer has obviously picked up so much more. Yeah. Uh, figure skating, you basically see only at the Olympics. But here's a competition every two years. Why it's not more relevant in this country, mm. I have no idea. I wish it was because it really, it really explores something that I think both you and I hold really dear to our heart, which is the craft of this cooking. Right. And, and regardless of the platters and the food maybe not being relatable to everybody, which I can absolutely empathize with, there is a craft to get there. You know, I don't necessarily like look at Elon Musk and understand how he made a Tesla, but I think the, the craft of getting there is pretty dynamic and, and, and inspiring somewhere along the lines. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that there needs to be some sort of focus on the craft of it. Mm. Uh, last question. The food, food TV competitions, yes. of which, uh, again, as we mentioned earlier, you beat me in one of these. God bless you. There's the best thing that's ever happened to food on television. Yeah. Do you agree or... I love it. I did Next okay. Iron Chef. I did yeah. Chopped All Stars with you. Yeah. I've done, you know, I've judged Top Chef like you have. You know, you did it a million more times than I did. Sad. Um, but I think it's a great way for the the public to like look at what it is that we're doing. You know, right. it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's like. I, I mean, I I started to cook when I was fifteen. I'm forty years old. I started to cook when I was fifteen years old. None of this existed right. in this business. And the fact that it's like spawned off to all of these little tentacles of businesses is so awesome and so inspiring. Do you have, uh, do you have cooks who are like, 
get asked to do these things or what are your yeah. what, what, like what's your typical answer if someone says hey they want me to come on an episode of chopped and um you know the we're, support, we're supportive of it i mean right. I, at the end of the day for me it's more about do you feel ready to go and are you ready for what that means right you know because the, you, look you're not you're not going on and you're just like in both you you're not going on and just cooking like normal food i mean there's a lot that goes into it you're up at 6 a.m someone's putting makeup on your face you know there's a lot more than just like showing up to sure, work sure and and you know you're in front of a camera you know you you have to you have to know that like you're you're doing something in front of a camera that millions of people are going to see and that's going to translate differently to everybody so just make sure that you know what it is that you're doing mm. be comfortable with it be proud of it because once you're off that camera and it's in the public eye you still need to be proud yeah. of it that kind of goes back to like you're in the beginning of the podcast when you're talking about like how you are as a yeah. mentor be prideful like it's also not like you're okay now you're getting to run the business then here's another step yes you got to be in front of a microphone sometimes you're yeah. going to be in front of a camera they're going to put makeup on you you're going to do this uh, I love that Gavin Casey you're an amazing dude thank you for letting me Thanks, uh, hang out in your home yeah. uh, kitchen and uh, last thing we do is called 86 it's 86 okay something in the world it could be serious or not yep. uh, that you want an 86 um, that I want an 86 from life could be lack. Could be you know. Could be I mean, anything. It could be anything. Literally, it's serious. Not. I want eighty six distraction. Okay. Mm. How do you do that? Great question. Okay. So Pre- like this being, is this being, is a wit. This being, is a problem being, you want solved. Yeah. Being present is is really really difficult. I was with my son in Toronto for his tenth birthday. It made me think a lot about distraction. You know, it made me think a lot about the fact that you know I'm watching this creature grow up and become a little human being. Um, you know, how much of that am I present for, and how much how much of just how am I, how much am I distracted by? Um, so I want to try to eighty for myself personally. My goal this year is try to eighty six more distraction. I love that, and uh, yeah, I mean whether it's technology or just the pressure of I actually had it as one of my first things to talk about the pressure of work. Yeah, especially for a chef. Absolutely, right? like you feel. Even at this point, you probably feel like you have to be here more than you probably actually have to do. It's right. just part of your like mentality. I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah, it's where you, I mean, it's how we grow up. Right. You know, you watch these guys and gals that you work for, and it's like this is how you grow up. But finding different ways to to relieve some of that distraction, you know, whether it's going to the gym or biking or running or whatever mm. it is that people have, whatever that whatever that thing is, it's like hold on to it. And by the way, you know, my my piece of advice is when I started to go to the gym a lot. I made sure that I put it in my calendar. And so everybody that has access to my calendar, that's blocked in those days. Mm-hmm. You can't book me around that. Yeah. You know, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm booked. Yeah, you this know? is a serious thing. Imagine that it's the most serious appointment that I have for the day and let me do it. It's such a simple thing. You're, you actually also are flipping it. You're taking, you're taking the technology, which can be distracting, but you're using the technology to create space for space. yourself so yeah. that you don't get distracted that's by right. other things. Because for those two hours, I don't have a phone on me. It's exactly. in the locker. Incredibly well said, Chef. You're like an idol dude. Uh, also, by the way, jump on over to Gavin Kaysen's personal Instagram page. Yeah. Because this post about the weekend you had with your son was amazing. It was awesome. And also, like, we should try and do, like, some sort of, like, you know, you got to pay a lot of money to go hang out with you for a weekend. Because the trip in, it's, in and of itself, <laughs> it was just like, it's like a show, if you get in a, you know, like, yeah, like, you should win a prize to get to hang out with you for a weekend. It was weekend. a jam-packed weekend. It really was. It was awesome. Plus pancakes, right? From one of Blueberry the pictures. Blueberry pancakes. My son said to me, he looked at me, he's like, Daddy, this is the best room service I ever had. I said, really? He's like, 
they bring you a table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. Dude, you're awesome. Thank Thanks, you so brother. much. Uh, do us all a favor. Jump on over to iTunes. I know you love this episode. Uh, drop us a review if you can. Uh, Chef, this is the only five-star thing that I've ever done in my career. So it, let's man. keep the podcast at five stars. Uh, and do us a favor. Get some friends to subscribe uh, and download some episodes as well. And until next week, stay hungry. Thanks for listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or PodcastOne.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing and going over to the iTunes or on the Podcast One site and dropping a bunch of reviews for us. Uh, And thank you to our sponsors who make this all possible, Native Deodorant. Visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code STARVING for 20% off your first purchase. Miller Lite, hold true. Arm & Hammer Cat Litter. Find Arm & Hammer's new cloud control cat litter at a retailer near you. San Pellegrino. To find S. Pellegrino in your area, visit sanpellegrino.com slash US or go to one of my restaurants. And Upserve. Go to upserve.com slash starving for $1,000 off a new POS today. Thanks, sponsors, and thanks, listeners. Until next week, stay hungry.